Well, uh, good morning, everybody. I've had the opportunity to be in Africa for the last two weeks and traveling for the last seven weeks, and it, it's been awesome. South Africa is a great country. Um, the highlight for me was we got to see a lion kill. I don't know if any of you have been on a safari or anything, but um, a male lion had pulled down a giraffe about three or four meters away from the road. So we could get really close and we could see this uh, male lion eating the giraffe. And South Africa is a great country, but it did have its problems. Um, about 10, 20 years ago, there was a system called apartheid in South Africa. And apartheid was basically a racist uh, regime. It said that uh, only the whites could be in power, have the good jobs, kids could go to the good schools. There was sti uh, strict segregation. And it really it was, wasn't a very flash um, political regime. And so, not surprisingly, the people of South Africa rose up against this. Um, on the way to South Africa, you have the option to watch Invictus. I don't know if any of you have seen this film, but uh, I watched it on the way. And one of the key figures in the struggle uh, against apartheid was Nelson Mandela. And for his trouble, Mandela was put in jail for 27 years. More than a quarter of a century in jail. Eventually, um, the ANC came to power, and Nelson was let out of jail, and he became the first black president of South Africa. You can actually go to Robben Island, and you can see the jail cell where Mandela was put in jail. And it's tiny. It's, it really is sparse. It's basically a bed and a little study with a, a wooden chair. And if I came out of jail after being there for 27 years, and I got the opportunity to um, be in power and to stick it to the people who had put me in jail for 27 years, they'd probably be able to pay back, to be honest. They'd be able to pay back. But Mandela saw the opportunity to reform South Africa. He didn't take any retribution against the whites. And he has now built up South Africa to what it is today, the Rainbow Nation. Great country, it's just basking in the light of the World Cup. Mandela and, and others were able to reform South Africa for the better. Today is uh, the day of another big reformation. Actually, it's called the Great Reformation. Um, on this day in 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to a church door in Wittenberg. In doing so, he set in motion a chain of events that would lead to the Augsburg Confession and the Reformation. So today we're going to have a look at Martin Luther, the man. We're going to look at what motivated him to go up against uh, the powers that be in the church. And we're going to have a look at some of the implications for us at All Nations in 2010. So Martin Luther, one day he was just walking along, minding his own business. He got hit by lightning. Probably not very exciting to be hit by lightning. And Luther took this as a sign from God. And he said, God, I'm going to join the monastery and become a monk. So in 1505, he joined the monastery in Erfurt. And the life of a monk in the 16th century, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. 
The routine was that they would wake up at about one or two in the morning and start doing praise and worship like we were doing this morning. I don't know about you, but if I woke up at two o'clock every morning, I wouldn't be singing. Not a chance. So they had their time of praise and worship, and then it was time for breakfast. After breakfast, it was time for morning prayers. And then what did they have to look forward to? Hard physical labor. The whole morning was spent working, working. Then it was lunchtime, and after lunch, it was time for more meditation and reflection and prayer. And that was basically the, the life of a monk. It was a hard life, a really hard life. But Luther was looking for something. He was trying to save his own soul in his own power, in his own might. He was terrified of God. He pictured God as this big judge who was going to condemn everybody because of their sins. And he was terrified of God, really terrified. Um, At uh, the monastery, he had a superior. You have uh, kind of a mentor-type figure. And uh, this guy was called Johann Staupitz. And Staupitz would say to Luther, Martin, God's not angry with you. You're the one who's angry with God. And Luther used to confess every little sin, or what he thought was a sin. And this would start to irritate poor Staupitz. And, and he would say to him, Martin, bring me some real sins to confess. So by the time 1511 comes along, uh, Staupitz is probably getting a bit sick of hearing Luther's confession. So he sends him to Rome. Um, he thinks that maybe Martin will find what he's looking for. And he'll also be able to see the world. But when Luther gets to Rome, he's shocked by what he sees. He sees priests that are too drunk to finish Mass. Priests that are doing 70 to 100 Masses in a day, so they're just going through the motions, bang, 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 bang. And priests that have broken their vows of celibacy. For, for Luther, the, the worst thing was uh, the indulgences. Uh, at that time, the Catholic Church taught, taught that if you um, paid a whole lot of money, which was important, and you um, had your loved one's name written on a piece of paper, that could speed up their time in purgatory and would help them get to heaven. And it was a good way to make money. Um, and Luther himself did this. In Rome at that time, there was a place called the... Um, the Latern, not the latrine. There were lots of latrines in Rome, but it was called the Latern. And the Latern were 28 massive stone steps that had been brought all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And it was said that on these 28 steps, Jesus Christ himself had walked. And the belief was that if you worked your way up the steps and on each step you said a, a half, an our father, then by the time you got to the top, which would take a while because there are 28 steps, and of course you had paid your fee and, and had your loved, un, loved one's name written on the piece of paper, then that loved one would be freed from purgatory and, and go to heaven. And Luther did this himself. He did it for his grandma, he did everything, got to the top. And when he got to the top, he just had an empty feeling. He just thought, 
You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if anything's really happened here. So he went back to Germany, even more confused than when when he arrived. Now, by the time 1515 comes along, you can just imagine poor old Mr. Staupitz. He's been hearing Luther's confessions for 10 years now. So he says to Luther, have you ever read the Bible? Amazingly enough, Martin Luther had never read the Bible. The thing was that in those days, the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew and also in Latin. So unless you were a priest, you, you weren't able to, to read the Bible and more importantly, to interpret the Bible. So uh, Staupitz sent Luther off to, um, to seminary in Wittenberg. Luther did some uh, doctoral studies. He became a, a professor of theology and he started to teach the Bible. And, and he started to teach the Psalms and he started to teach Romans. And it didn't take long for, for Luther to, to find what he was looking for in Romans. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16, that was the, the verse that we had read today. Now, now Romans 1.16, for me, is, is right up there with John 3.16. And it's great because it's easy to remember. John 3.16, it's also a 16, and it's the first, uh, the first chapter in Romans. So, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of the good news. It's all about faith in verse 17. Uh, I'm going to read from what Luther himself said about these verses in his writings. I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but one expression, the justice of God. So this is going back to Luther thinking that God is this big judge who's going to judge us all. Because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. Nice. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Okay, so he, he wasn't confident that he would be able to save himself. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. And Stalpitz had realized that. He was saying, you, you're angry with God. Yet I clung to the dear thing, yet I clung dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which, through grace and sincere mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn. And to have gone through open doors into paradise. 
The whole of Scripture took a whole new meaning for me. Whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became inexpressibly sweet and greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. Well, what, what, had, uh, what had Luther discovered? In uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17, it talks of two kinds of righteousness. Two kinds of righteousness. The first righteousness is in verse 16, and it's the righteousness of man. And that's what Luther had been trying to do for his whole life. He'd been trying to save his own soul. He'd been trying to do a whole bunch of good works. And ultimately, he had found that unfulfilling. I preached last, uh, last time I was speaking about uh, spirituality and about what a relationship with God is. And a relationship with God is basically just about being there. It's about being in a love relationship with God. And it's not about good works. It's not about having to say prayers and do the right thing and be at the right places. It's just about that relationship. There's a verse in uh, Ephesians, Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. And it says that God has saved us by His grace. And this is through faith, and it goes on into verse 9 saying, He's done this because He doesn't want anybody to boast. Right? And you can see how that would happen. Because if we were saved by our good works us being humans and and people, we would go around and talk and gossip to people. Well, you know, this week I've done this, this, that, 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 and this, and this. And then Mrs. Jones, she's done, well, what has she done? And and you can start getting both and feeling good about yourselves. And and being like Luther, trying to do good works, good works, good works. And ultimately, you get to the 28th step of the Lateran, and there's still quite a long way to go to heaven. You know, heaven's, heaven's quite high up. 20th step of Lateran, there's still quite a way to go. So that's where Luther was on the first, first righteousness, verse 16. But then there's the second righteousness in verse 17. And this was, this was the key moment for Luther. This righteousness consists in what Jesus Christ did when he came and what he accomplished when he died and rose from the dead. This righteousness is not ours. It's given to us by simple faith. All we have to do is go with the open arms of faith and to believe in Christ and say, I want some of that. But it it takes a step. We, We have to leave behind everything that we do in our own power, our own status, all our power, our wealth, our money, and we have to reach out to God. But the good news about grace and faith is that if we do, if we do that and if we take that step, Christ will meet us with His open arms of grace. So that's how you receive the righteousness of God. It's by faith from first to last. Today we, uh, we sung the song uh, Everlasting. A th- 
thousand times I've failed. For me, that's a lot more than a thousand. I don't know what your number is, but that's a, a big number. A thousand times I've failed, yet your, God's mercy remains. And the best bit about it, if I stumble again, I'm going to be caught in God's grace. That's the second righteousness in verse 17. That's God's righteousness. And let me tell you, it trumps our righteousness or anything that we can do in our own power every time. Every time. And that's what what Martin Luther discovered. He discovered that it's all about faith and not good works, and that was his highway to heaven. I love the expression that he uses. He found that a highway to heaven. So how does this apply to us today in, uh, in Luxembourg for all nations? I'd like to suggest in, in, two, in two key areas. Uh, the first is in, uh, in our lives, in our everyday life. And the second is uh, in our church situation that we find ourselves in at the moment. Our lives need constant reformation. On a daily basis. Martin Luther really did overdo the whole confessing. And uh, you can see why Stalpitz got, got quite angry with him. and Lost a bit of patience with him. But he did have a point. And that sin is something that can come in. And if left undealt with, it's like a malignant cancer. I've been hanging out with my dad for a while. You can tell he's a surgeon. But a malignant cancer is the one that, that will kill you, that it's, it's active, you know, it's not a benign cancer. And that's exactly what, what sin is. And in, in preparing this, I, I, I was really, really convicted by that, and that we, on a daily basis, we need, to, we need to examine our lives, and we need to see what sin has crept in. It, it might have been sin that's crept in this week or over months or over years. And if that sin is left undealt with, it will, it will ultimately destroy you. So we, we need to take the time to take a, a long, hard look at our lives and to see what sin is there and to just confess that to God and, and be in that relationship with God and just say to God, look, renew a right spirit within me. My relationship is not being going that well. Is that sin that you know about? I've been stumbling with it thousands of times. Please reform my life. And as we've seen in Romans 1, 16 and 17, God will do that. The second point I'd like to make is um, about the reformation of our church life. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, we don't meet in our lovely uh, location in Valfordange anymore. It was awesome being there. They didn't charge us much of a rent. It was nice, relaxed. We, we were in our comfort zone. But now, God has pushed us out of that, and he's got something great in store for us. But part of that is that there's a lot of 
expectation and a lot of pressure on us. I, I can tell you for a fact that um, there's a lot more demands on Paul now as he, as he leads us into this next phase of our church life. There are people in the church that are giving up their time and their efforts to try and find us a new location. And they're doing that just because they want to, to build up the kingdom of God. And then there are people that are giving financially. A lot of people in the church are, are pledging to give more money. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm useless at things when it comes to money and asking people and telling people we're doing stuff. I mean, I've been in South Africa, New Zealand lately, about seven weeks kind of traveling, and every Sunday I end up somewhere, and they're excited about what's happening in Luxembourg. But for me, it's hard to say, look, um, if you wanted to, this is how you could support us, and this is what God is doing. It's a change, and it's forcing all of us to step out of our comfort zones and to move into whatever God has in store for us. But at the same time, when it is a bit of a bit fearful and we're moving to something new, it's also very exciting. Because God is reforming us and, and He's got something exciting and wonderful planned for us in the future. And it's going to be great to see, to see what it is and, and just to be a part of that. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for, um, for your faith and your, your grace. We thank you for um, an Augustine monk who, um, who was angry at you and then realized that he shouldn't be angry at you and you should really love you and have faith in you. And we thank you for the whole history of the church, for better or worse. It's all been a bit fragmented and, and now we are where we are today. And We just pray that we would realize the implications of faith and of reformation in our own lives and in the lives of our church, all nations. We pray these things in your name. Amen.